I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I helped destroy Mars Hill Church. I'm not really sure what I believe anymore, and I'm okay with that. I'm Dave. I'm a Bible theology nerd, an occasional preacher, a movie buff. I'm wondering if Zach will be my Covenant Eyes partner, and I'm an evangelical. And I went to Christian school, so my education is a little bit lacking. You're going to have to speak a little bit slower. Sorry. This is Veterans of Culture Wars. Veterans of Culture Wars is a podcast where we have conversations about evangelical Christianity, welcoming you to the podcast, whether you are a believer or not. And at the VCW Hall here, we have done a few episodes on education. We've talked about homeschooling education, and uh, we've talked about LGBTQ issues in uh, mostly in higher ed college education settings. And we're going to continue kind of a multi-episode arc here talking about education and uh, issues such as school choice and Christian nationalism being propagated in schools. Both of my kids, nine to seven, are in public schools. Michelle, my wife, and I are huge advocates for public school. It's not for every kid. There are kids, obviously, with different needs, but public school teachers are amazing administrator, at least where we live, and I hear all over, working very hard for our kids. We're going to talk about education tonight. Zach, who do we have on the show to talk about education? Yeah, tonight we have Chris and Mendy Tackett. They are activists speaking up for public education and against Christian nationalism in their home state of Texas. They were recently featured in our recent guest, Dr. Andrew Whitehead's podcast, American Idols. Uh, When Dave and I knew that we wanted to do a series of episodes about education, we kind of right off the bat knew we wanted to talk with R.L. Stoller about homeschooling stuff and Aaron Green and Paul Southwick, the, the folks at REAP, about higher education. And we've done that, but we weren't really sure who to talk about. Uh, about what uh, who to talk with about what's happening in the public school system. Uh, we reached out to our buddy Brad Onishi of uh, Straight White American Jesus, and he recommended the Tackets. This was before their episode uh, came out, but uh, seeing as we have a general policy of following Brad's advice, we reached out to them, and uh, here they are. So welcome to the show, Chris and Mindy. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We usually start just with um, stories involving evangelical Christianity. Did you grow up uh, in evangelicalism? Um, Chris, do you want to start and just maybe share a little bit of your uh, journey with faith or where you're at? Well, I'll, I'll say, you know, my my parents, uh, my mom especially was Catholic. And so I went through and, you know, went through First Communion, did all of the, the elements and my my dad was i guess grew up baptist but never really you know wasn't a thing for him so we were a very spotty church family um growing up the the catholic stuff that my mom introduced me to was really my only real introduction into the faith space and 
I don't know. I've been just somebody who's questioned, I think, all the way through. Um, so evangelicalism was has never really been um, a real touch point for me, but have uh, observed it in, in the places I've grown up. I mean, it, it was it's everywhere. And I grew up early on in the Baptist church. Um, you know, I had a great grandfather who was a, a preacher and um, my great grandmother was a, um, you know, I grew up knowing her and she literally lived across the street from the Baptist church that we all attended. Um, about junior high, we ended up transitioning to a Methodist church. Um, but like Chris, um, you know, the in Granbury, which is where we both grew up, um, evangelicalism is prevalent and it's you you can't, you know, move through town or function without um, experiencing or bumping into um, evangelical um, friends and neighbors um, and the ideology that goes along with that. Yeah. So. And I'll say, which church do you go to is the first question almost anybody asks you when they meet yeah. you. That's right. That that speaks to the prevalence of it where we grew up. Yeah. Yeah, in Texas, like nobody does mega churches like Texas, right? Like up here in Seattle, like our biggest churches that we've had have had like fifteen thousand people, and down there, you you get like fifty thousand people in a stadium, essentially, right? Well, I mean the the I would I think it is the largest church in Hood County, which is the county that Granbury sits in. Um, the the largest church there is multi-campus just within that one county. So, um, and that's, you know, on the small end of what you would consider these, these big churches is probably not even considered a mega church, but, but we, when we, you get into Dallas and Houston. And, we got the big boys. Absolutely. Yes. Everything's bigger Gateway. in Texas, yeah. including the, including the churches. So, well, um, with education activism, how did both of you, you know, your your parents, um, but how did you get into this kind of activism where you saw what forces are trying to do to the public education system or, or the changes that they're trying to make overall to the education system? And what's that story of how you got into challenging that and pushing back against those forces? Well, I, I think it really all starts in 2014. Um, I'd been running the local baseball and softball association in Granbury for about five years, right? Coaching our kids and, and then running the organization that the whole community's kids were playing in and decided I could do a little more. So I ran for school board uh, in, in Granbury only because I felt like it was, you know, a, a good way to give back to the community, right? And be a part of it. And our kids both went to the public school system. It's the school system Mindy and I both graduated from. Right. So it felt like a good connection point. And when I decided to run, it, I did the thing I thought everybody does. And I showed up at different clubs and organizations around, you know, our community. And on one of the instances, um, I showed up at a Republican club meeting and one of the featured speakers there um was a gentleman who had written a book and was traveling around to Republican clubs around Texas talking about the evils of government schools, the indoctrination that was going on in public school systems, and that the only way to stop that was to take over 
school systems. And you do that by taking over school boards. And I'm sitting there in the audience going, oh my gosh, this, this sounds insane. I grew, I grew up going through the public school system. There was no indoctrination. I've been very involved in my kids' school. There's no indoctrination. What are they talking about? And, and, and there's multiple educators in my family. You know, my mother's an educator. My aunts and uncles were all educators. Um, tons of educators. I mean, it, the the idea that educators were indoctrinating kids or, you know, any of the stuff that they've now recently come up with was just preposterous. So, you know, I leave that. I come home. I tell Mindy, I'm like, you can't believe, you know, what, what I heard. And as we continued through the election, the this push for trying to politicize the what in in Texas at least all of like school board races they're nonpartisan right it's just local person in your community who wants to go serve and all of a sudden it became a conservative Republican running versus me who had voted in a Democratic primary a number of years previously and I was the really bad guy and. You know, so they had had made this very, very political. And I, I was elected. I right. I got the opportunity to serve. But that was the first moment we really saw in the community this this, again, politicization of public schools. You know, we hadn't really seen it before. I'm sure it's, it's happening right in other places, but it wasn't anything that had impacted us. And then in 2015, we had a, there was a mom who, this wasn't in the public school or library, it was the, it was just the public county library, but we had a, a there was a mom that challenged an LGBTQ library book in the public library, county library. A kid's picture book. Yeah. And what we noticed, um, there were many of us, uh, we had an incredible librarian at the time. Uh, she was an absolute rock star and she did everything right that she needed to do. And she pushed back on it. And thankfully, you know, that resolved at the time and she did win and, and the book stayed at that time. But what we noticed was when we would go to the commissioners meetings, the county commissioners meetings to speak up as citizens about, you know, how important First Amendment rights are and the freedom to read and and all those things. The people who were showing up and were the loudest in opposition were local pastors. And, you know, it, it, it was obvious at that time that um, they felt like anything that was happening in county or city government, you know, they were being very vocal about the fact that it should all be biblically based and it should reflect, you know, their views and there shouldn't be anything in a library that didn't reflect their views. Um, and then we started going forward and there were voter, voter, these evangelical voter engagement and um, uh, oh, nice. events. That's the word that, that were happening. People like Rafael Cruz, most people know who Ted Cruz is the U S Senator. Yeah. His father, Rafael would show up. I began, um, he would come to churches, he would do these voter engagement events, along with David Barton, who, um, if people are familiar with David Barton, he is a, a 
Christian nationalist slash dominionist out of Alito, Texas here. Um, Pseudo historian. History books. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, Rafael Cruz would show up and I, I would be watching, uh, you know, video of him talking to church congregations, telling church congregations in our town that, you know, that the separation of church and state was for secular humor, humanists, that schools were indoctrinating, public schools were indoctrinating kids, that, um, you know, people did need to take over local school boards. It was just this constant repeat of this is very politicized. And this is language that we've never heard used before. And we're both very familiar with our local school board and our local educators and how that's supposed to work. And this looks not, this is totally foreign to what we've ever seen happen in our town, even though it's a very conservative town. And pastor council, uh, the local one, and Dave Welch, who was on the, runs the U.S. pastors council, was coming to town and ads were being run in newspapers saying, hey, we need conservative Christians to run for school board so that we can take basically take over and impose yeah. our viewpoints on everything. And I'm sorry, all th was time... this all stuff that you've said uh, thus far? Is this all things you were seeing back in 2014? Yeah, 14, well, 15, yeah. 16 is kind yeah. of that, that range yeah. of time. And at the same time, we had a, a newly elected Texas House representative who as he was running for office and got elected, said he was pro-public education. And this is while I'm still on the board. And we met with him, you know, sent him uh, information on bills that were being filed, things that he should support. And he told us, look, yes, I'll support all of these things. I'll vote against all these other things. And when it actually came time to cast ballots, he voted against public education every time. And you couldn't figure out what was going on. Why would you do this? Yeah. And that's what started us down this crazy path into digging into campaign finance and understanding the money that was funding this gentleman and then the ideology behind the money and the attacks on public education and the, the broader right. push for Christian national, nationalism overall. I mean, there are so many points along the way that, that we could point to. But I think that was really the beginnings of that that journey, right? 14, 15, 16. And then we all know there was an election in 2016 that really started to turn things on their head and, and accelerate um, what I think a lot of the crazy was that went on I mean, across the entire country. But we definitely felt it where we live, too, in Texas. Did, did your time serving overlap with the Trump administration at all? Yeah, I served from 2014 through 2017. Okay, caught, caught the beginnings of it. I don't, I don't know if if it's normal for the you know lo local school board to to get any pressure from the Department of Education or whatever, but you know a big deal was made out of the fact that he put Betsy DeVos in, in as the head of that department, who had zero experience with it. None of her kids went to public school. She didn't go to public school. And she she supports dismantling the entire system. It's, everybody had sort of noted that every move she's making seems to be uh, with the intent of of breaking it down brick by brick as much as much as she could. Did did you feel any um, active pressure on what you were doing coming from the administration 
I, I would say serving on the board, there wasn't a feel of direct pressure, but I think everybody understood because Texas has been going through this fight on vouchers broadly mm-hmm. I mean, since the early 2000s, right? I mean, that's been us this thing. And, and everybody knew with Betsy DeVos stepping into office, I mean, she had been the, the head of the American Federation for Children which is an organization that's all about tearing down public schools and using public dollars to pay for vouchers, right, into private faith-based schools. So it it was definitely a topic of conversation on what was coming out of the federal government and a lot of dialogue about what would the impacts be for us. But we were probably more concerned with what was going on in the Texas legislature Mm -hmm. um, than what was coming down from the federal government. You mentioned vouchers. Uh, Dave at the beginning used the term school choice. Precise language is important in a lot of these things that that the Republicans in particular have been really good at branding uh, their issues. Uh, I don't think any any marketing of a position has has been more successful than pro life uh as as the term for for opposing abortion and you know those that are in favor of it kind of you know they come up with you know pro choice okay so it both are in favor of something but ultimately you know who's who, who wants to say that they're opposed to life you know it's it's an incredibly effective name um when dave and i started talking about wanting to do an episode on this stuff. You know, he was talking about, you know, school choice is a big deal right now. School choice. And I'm like, my spidey sense says that school choice is the preferred term used by those on the right. It sounds very nice. It sounds like something you wouldn't oppose. But I I looked around. I couldn't really find what the proper term would be to use uh, to be more clear and not in support of what they're going for. I guess school privatization is one aspect of it, but I'm wondering if you could walk us through some of these terms to help clarify things. Cause generally, unless they're in private settings, like you got to be part of where you heard them talking about, we need to take over this. We need, we need Christians there. They're generally not going out and announcing, Hey, so the whole plan is to get rid of everything and have everybody be either homeschooled or in religious schools, but they'll talk about school choice. And they'll talk about vouchers. I don't know. I I didn't go to public school until high school. My kids are in public school. My my wife teach uh, not teaches, but she works for the public school system. Um, and our kids are in. I don't know what kind of school it's called. It's a public school, but like it's nobody's assigned school. It's it's like a lottery school. It's yeah, what, like a magnet what, type school. Yeah, what growing up, I'd call it the alternative school, you know, (laughs) and so I don't know if that's a charter or what I like. I Googled, like, is this school and charter school and didn't come up with anything. So I don't know what to call that. But there's all these all these terms that make the whole thing confusing. So I guess two questions in there. If you could break down the types of schools uh, that, that we're talking about when we're talking about this issue, what is a charter school versus a voucher school or a voucher system for school and how do we how should we be talking about this if 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 we're not saying school choice what are what words should we be using well i'll i'll say a lot of the the dialogue about choice itself right and the the idea that 
people want to publicly say, hey, we want to tear down the public school system. I mean, you can go back to 1954 and look at Milton Friedman, right? And what happened in 1954, it was Brown v. Board of Education, right? Which desegregated public schools. Mm -hmm. And Friedman at the time, uh, noted economist, right? Was advocating that we needed to get the public dollars out of government schools. And I mean, he was using the term even, even back then. I think to, that is a Rush Dooney term. Um, right. Like but I mean, Friedman was absolutely yeah. leveraging it, right? I okay. mean, it, was, it was, it goes all the way back okay. and was talking about the need to take the dollars and give them to the parents so that they could make their own choices. Right. Mm -hmm. He acknowledged that Brown v. Board occurred and that segregation academies were popping up all over the South, which were done by scholarship or vouchers, right, that were allowing white kids to be able to go to these private schools uh, that could avoid segregation. And he was like, look, if we just give all the money to parents and they're able to make whatever choice they want with those dollars, then you may end up with schools that are segregated, but that's okay, right? Because if enough people want desegregated schools, that's what they'll choose and we'll let the market decide. Um, but still trying to take all of those public dollars and and, and redirect them. Uh, even in uh, an ALEC conference in like 2004, I think, you know, he talked about, look, the ultimate thing we would like to see is the destruction of the public school system. And, you know, the money just goes straight to parents, but we probably won't get there. So what do we need? We just need vouchers, right? So that's laying the game out right right there. And there's a video um, of, of him doing that. But, but talking about the different avenues, right, when we're talking about choice, there's the traditional public school system that is funded by your, your state government, your local government or taxes and things that, that pay for it. Uh, charter schools came up as, in most states, they're set up as a nonprofit entity, but have for-profit entities behind them, but they're mm -hmm. specialized type schools. Uh, there are a lot of cases treated as a public school and that they're receiving public funds, but it's kind okay. of a parallel path, right? That's there. Um, in so response- they'd be to required to accommodate uh, uh, special needs students and stuff like that, whereas a, pr a fully private school would not, right? Do charter there, schools, they're, they're bound by that? There's elements that okay. apply to them, but not necessarily all of it. Um, there's some testing requirements that apply, but not necessarily all of them. Um, at, at least in Texas, right? I can, I can speak to Texas pretty, pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's admission standards that, uh, they can pick and choose who they let into their schools where a public school admits every child. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's the, the charter path, which gets the public dollars to fund it. Um, and then you've got the true private schools, which do get to set their own curriculums fully. Um, they get to, you know, make all their own choices on who they admit, why they choose to not admit someone I mean, they can force you to be a member of their their faith and their and their church if your you know child wants to go into that space. Um, those are the, the the primary three big avenues. And then there's homeschooling, right? 
which is again the parents making that choice to to do it on their own. Um, you you have seen public school systems continue to adapt over the years, where things like magnet schools, right, or very specialized schools that are fully a part of the public school system, do get set up where kids have the ability. You know, there's your local neighborhood school. Um, but hey, if they've got a passion for something, you know, you may have school systems set up that may be STEM focused, that may be mm -hmm. arts focused. Um, so those are all definitely elements that you can find in the public school system. But not every district has that. Right. And so, you know, that's where sometimes you'll see charters pop up that that take a piece of that. And there are, again, private schools all over the place, some faith based and and some not. And the the terms that you're going to hear for vouchers, you'll hear voucher, right? Which is basically like, I think people, most people think of getting basically like a coupon, you know, here's your, your coupon to get go get entry, yeah. you know, or at least partial entry. Um, you'll hear education savings accounts, ESAs. Um, and that is basically where um, there is money set aside that it's a savings account for that student to go where they, you know, where they want to go. It's all the same avenue um, or same end game. And there's um, also the scholarships that are mm -hmm. corporate scholarships that are, you know, tax rebated for the, you know, corporations uh, to allow scholarships into uh, these other, other schools, which are really, because it's a tax rebate, it's really taxpayer funded, right? The rest of us are paying for that mm -hmm. um, because that company's not paying the taxes and into that space to, to be able to leverage it. Um, those are the, the big vehicles and a lot of the terms you'll hear used when we're talking about choice to be able to exit the public school system. And I'm trying to think from a, a conservative evangelical or just a conservative in general from a perspective that we would encounter and there are obviously people who really think this would be a better a better deal for them um maybe it's a conservative family that doesn't have a lot of money to send a kid to a private school that they want to and so it's you know it's a way to try to get that money for them to do that mindy to loop a couple of things that that you said into this conversation i do think that a lot of the momentum for quote unquote school choice these days is probably LGBTQ issues. And that's a real hot button issue with conservatives because they, you know, they don't want their kids going apparently to a public school and, and being able to read a book that is called Heather has two mommies or something like that. Um, and public schools should be a place that welcomes everybody. That's the idea of what a public school is that we can meet and encounter all kinds of people that are are different from us, have different beliefs or no beliefs at all. And that's kind of what a pro pluralistic democracy, I think, is about, which is what, you know, I think what we're all promoting here. But um, I think in the regard back to, I think conservatives do generally think this would be a good thing for maybe poorer right-wing families to be able to send their kid to wherever they want because they don't, quote-unquote, agree with something in the public school system. Um, is there data that if we did implement quote unquote school choice nationwide, what would happen to the public school system? Would, you know, I guess, would some parents still choose it? 
Well, I think a lot of parents would still choose it because they're financially going to be forced to do that. And mm -hmm. again, Chris and I can only speak to the numbers that the Texas legislature um, is, is talking about. But I think this last voucher amount that they were considering, and we're right now in our fourth special session rehashing vouchers again, um, but I think it was an $8,000. I think I think the new bill is 10400 Okay. But when you, so anywhere from eight to 10, it's here in Texas, it's run anywhere from like 6,500-ish up to, the current it, now it's just over 10,000. And that's for a full year? <laughs> That's, like a, that's per, per year. Yeah, yeah. Per, per, year. Okay. per year. But when you look at the the tuition costs, the real tuition costs of what it's going to take for each, uh, for families to send each of their kids to a private school, there, there just really isn't a private school here in Texas that you can touch for $10,000. Most things are going to be in the thirteen to fifteen thousand as a bargain, right. and then you're going to get up into the twenty and thirty thousand dollar range. So the idea that it's going to help lower income students who may, for whatever reason, want to exit the public school system—that is just a false narrative. That's not going to happen because number one, there's not transportation, right? So even if you are a family that is an evangelical family and you're feeling like, gosh, I'd love for my kid to get to go to school, you know, across town. If you're a lower income family and your mom might work two jobs and your dad works nights, um, you know, all night long and sleeps during the day, how, how are those kids getting across town to go to school? Cause th there's not transportation provided and if that school across town is say $16,000 per student and you're only getting 10, does that family really have an extra $6,000 per year per student to make up the difference? And the answer to that is for most families, they do not. So the people that it ends up helping are generally going to be the wealthier people who are in a public school system and would like to get their kids out for whatever reason, have their kids go somewhere else. It will help people who already have their children in a private school setting. And it basically turns into a discount and tax break for them. Um, and again, as Chris stated before, the private schools don't have to accept all kids, right? So it just doesn't end up being an even playing field. And Chris and I are not against private schools in any fashion. There are some really fabulous private schools out there. And we firmly believe that every family gets to, um, you know, practice their faith and do what's best for their family as they see fit. We just don't use public tax dollars to pay for and subsidize private religious education when they're not held to the same standards and not everybody gets to walk through those doors. And, you know, I, you had mentioned the using, you know, the LGBTQ stuff as being one of the wedge issues on, you know, why people might want to leave. And I'll tell you that 
um, here in Texas, at least the, you know, going back several years as we were kind of digging into the Christian nationalism and the attacks we were seeing on this, the, the public school system statewide generally, um, the attacks that we were seeing were very much centered in anti-LGBTQ scare tactics. You know, there was the transgender bathroom bill um, that didn't end up passing, but that came up. Um, we've had the book bans and people saying that librarians and school teachers or, you know, are promoting pornography and that they're pedophiles and Goodness. groomers and all this. And then we also had the the CRT attacks and um, the critical race theory attacks. Um, and we had some bills come up that were, you know, anti-CRT. Um, and, and those things have all been crafted by those under, you know, folks like the Bet Betsy DeVos camp to break the public's confidence in public education. And if the public is afraid of public schools and what might be going on in public schools that, you know, they don't know about or didn't know about, um, they're much more willing to accept the idea of implementing vouchers. The public is. So these things have all been used as scare tactics to try to persuade the public that vouchers are a good idea. Yeah, I think you a know, lot of the taxes have been trying to try trying to make vouchers seem appealing by doing things to make the functioning of of uh, public schools barely tenable, uh, underfunding it, threatening teachers so they feel like it's not worth it to them uh, to 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 teach in this environment where if they say the wrong thing, they could be facing jail time or massive fines or whatever. But finding ways to chip away at the at the just basic functionality of these systems uh, so then they can let people sit back and go, ha, that this this school is not is not run well. It's not it's not working out. Clearly, the problem is that it's a public school and we should all support this other other way of going about it. Well, you know, right. that's by design. Um, I, I also wanted wanted to note that with with these private schools and the voucher stuff with, you know, private schools being for profit businesses, there's nothing to stop them from if the the state decides to increase the voucher amount by three thousand dollars a year they could just all say all right tuition's going up three thousand dollars this year right exactly right i mean there's nothing yeah. that nothing that stops that and you have seen in some states where vouchers have been rolled out you've seen that rapid appreciation or elevation of tuition rates right they go they go right with it which some of it controls who can come in Mm -hmm. Right. Because they don't really want that that family um, that, you know, the kid may have, you know, a reading challenge, may have whatever. You know, we we don't want them to, to be a part of it. So it's 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 absolutely a way to maximize profit, but also control entry. Yeah. Mindy, you made so many key points on on pushing back on the narratives and especially how this would hurt middle class and. And poor families, frankly, because like you said, the, it may be $10,000, a school is twenty dollars or $30,000 a year. So if public school education goes away, 
families have to come up with that stopgap of funds. And it seems like it's another cost that is trying to be passed off to normal everyday people when, you know, people have healthcare costs, people have just cost of living right now. We all know that's gone up in the recent years. And a lot of people aren't thinking about that when they hear messages such as school choice and, oh, parental rights. And you have, you should have a right to, you know, put your child where you want to. It all sounds so good. But I think what, what you're saying is so key in getting behind the issues and digging deeper and saying, what's, what's really going on here? Um, another aspect that we've heard is just the going to school board meetings and causing a disruption. And this is tying into kind of what Zach was saying and making things untenable. And we have seen some pretty raucous school board meetings with people yelling with different political groups, Moms for Liberty going, and, you know, they would say standing up for their issues, but really, you know, a lot of it is causing a scene and it's ready made for social media and making things go viral and making things seem chaotic and out of control. Have you seen a confluence of those issues as far as an intersection of different groups kind of being used to sow chaos, again, to sow doubt and, and make everything seem out of control? I mean, they're absolutely, you will see video, even from local school districts here in our area, where you're seeing the same people show up where they don't have kids in that district. You know, they're going multiple towns over to show up and speak to exactly the same things oh my. in those school board meetings, right? So it is absolutely, there's a coordinated push and a sharing of talking points. I mean, when we're talking about the book bans, you know, there's websites being set up and here's, you know, things you should be talking about at school board meetings. Here's the bad books and you should be pushing back on it. Um, so it is all connected and there is, you know, networks of people, whether it's Moms for Liberty or other similar type groups, they're all talking to each other all over the country and, and showing up in school board meetings and working to so that division, because look, when, when you look at, and, and I think this, this touches on a little bit of, of Zach said earlier, when you look at surveys of how people feel about public education broadly, right, you'll get a four, high 40s, right, percentage saying, hey, yes, I'm, I, I really like public schools. And you'll get a big neutral and then you'll have a, you know, a, a decent negative there. But when you ask people about their school, right? Their local school, all of a sudden that positive number jumps up into the seventies, yeah. right? Because right. this is the place they know. You can say it may be a little crazy out there, but right here in our community, we know we've got good schools and that's what you hear over and over. And that's where this push to go into the school board meetings to, you know, run chaos candidates to try and get onto the school board and take these things over. It starts to make the teachers leave, right? The great teachers say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm out of here. It makes people whose kids have always been in public education start to hear the noise that's going on and go, ooh, maybe it's not so good here, right? And when you start to take that 70s number and you drop it into the 60s and maybe the 50s right 
Now the idea of pushing the vouchers harder, driving that choice narrative that it's all broken, people who would have never considered it before will now start to say, maybe I'll call my legislator and I'll, I'll ask about it, right? Maybe if that thing did come up, I'd, I'd look into it. I'm not going to be that vocal proponent for public education. And those folks who come in and create those scenes in those school board meetings, right? They're purposely loud, creating the viral moments, but it's also to bully, right? It's to take other people's voices and try and subjugate them. And most people, they don't want to get in a yelling match, right? They don't want to get in an altercation verbal. They don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable. So rather than showing up to express support for public education and talk about the great things that are happening, they just won't show up, which leaves the platform solely for those who are being so ugly and trying to push an agenda and tear down what is foundational to our democracy. This, this this may sound really, really cynical and terrible, but where my mind goes with this is I think of the ways that they're trying to cause chaos or allow chaos, let things get bad, let let staff and students feel unsafe in schools so that the alternative looks better. I'm of the Columbine generation. You know, I was a senior in high school when that went down. Uh, a... A, a major conversation that I had in my life with an old, like one of my parents' friends from church, somebody that I'd never heard say a bad word ever. When that news came out, she was cutting my hair and she said, why are kids so fucked up? And I don't know, but every time these happen, Republicans refuse to do anything about it, refuse to admit that guns could be somehow involved in shooting people and say, you know, it's a heart issue. Oh, we took God out of schools. Well, it's kind of inferring, hey, you know where God is in schools? Christian schools. If your kids were in Christian schools, this wouldn't happen. You wouldn't be afraid of shootings, which we're not doing anything legally to prevent. If you just got them out of public schools, that's the problem. We got these crazy unsafe schools. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do about it? Get rid of the schools. Put them in Christian schools. That's where God is. That's where you can pray. Because prayer in schools is what led to all this. Right. I don't want to say that anybody wants school shootings to happen. I don't think there's any Republican Congress person that says, hey, this is really good for our ultimate plan of getting rid of public schools. That's not what I'm saying. But every time it happens, they're like, well. If you got God in schools, wouldn't be a problem. And we know where God is in school. Well, Except it happens I, at I private schools, too. That, yeah, I can tell you that based on, you know, somebody like um, David Barton or Raphael Cruz, um, who, you know, th those are men who, or Lance Wallnow, those are men who make make the circuit here in Texas, mm -hmm. right? Right. 
um, talking about um, how deplorable public schools are. Um, and that is something that we've taken God out of schools. We've taken prayer out of schools. Um, that is a, a, a drumbeat that you hear over and over and over again mm-hmm. from these guys. Um, and again, they work very hard to make their audience afraid of what might be going on in public schools. And the reality is most, you know, I mean, yes, we have a clear issue of, of school shootings, of shootings in any kind of, you know, space here in America, um, sadly, but aside from that, you know, public schools have been and continue to be wonderful places for all kinds of students whether you're an evangelical or you come from from a Hindu family or an atheist family or you're low income, high income. Again, we've, we've touched on that. It's a place for everyone to come and everyone to get a solid education and frankly, learn differences and similarities between one another. And there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of in public schools. And the things that that people are now afraid of are are hundred percent fabricated. I mean, it's other than you know the gun violence, which um, is something they're choosing not to take action on. They're yeah. ignoring. Right. Yeah, you know, uh, the rest of it is totally fabricated. Um, well, and 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 Zach, you touched on the you know we've took the, taken the religion out, right? People like David Barton and the Texas legislature this last cycle um, took steps to try and get the Ten Commandments posted in every single school classroom. And it wasn't successful. The bill ended up dying right at the the last minute. But their justification, as they were saying, hey, we should have this, they were talking about school shootings. Yeah. Kids had to look at the Ten Commandments every single day. They wouldn't have made those kinds of decisions. Yep. Somebody walks in with an AR-15, they see the Ten Commandments, and suddenly, oh my gosh, I I better, uh, my plan is not a good one. I, I, yeah. Uh, So they weren't able to do that. But one thing that they were able to do is let pastors work in schools instead of school counselors. That that has happened in Texas. That that, that has, has gone that into was, effect, right? Absolutely, it has gone into effect. Um, they passed it to where it can literally replace school counselors, right? So if you may have had six counselors in the past, you could have between you could decide to have between one and six chaplains instead. Um, they they tried to. Um, um, put amendments onto this bill that would keep them from proselytizing to kids, right? Hey, you can, you know, advise, you can do what you need to, but you can't try and impose your faith on kids. Absolutely not. Got stricken from the bill. Um, They tried to ensure they had to follow, uh, had to have the, the full, you know, background checks and full qualifications the way a counselor would, because, you do so much more than just a grief counseling type thing as a counselor, right? You're advising students on where to go to college and the things they should be focusing on and 
all of these and testing and, and everything else. And the the people um, that the, oh, I can't even remember, it's Rocky somebody or other runs Malloy. this, Rocky Malloy runs this school chaplains association. And he was interviewed and talked about what does it take to be a chaplain in this? And it was basically 48 hours of training online. for a, online provided oh, okay. by a focus on the family group. Right. That's who was presenting it. And his organization, his national chaplains organization was the was the group lobbying our legislators In for Austin. this to pass. And he did a whole celebratory video about this is going to be fantastic. And of course, his organization offers is going to offer, I guess, the online course that people can pay for to go get certified in quotes uh to be a chaplain so now school boards do have to vote they they are required to vote yes or no they can't just pass on it they have to vote it up or down and they have until this spring to do that i believe it's april but yeah. we already have a few districts in texas that have voted for it and I, I suspect there will be a fair number of districts that will vote to allow pastors in. And look, some of them might be people from your local church, um, but I would not be surprised at all to see some folks who are not just underqualified and non-certified in the in the in in the fashion that a school counselor is, because these are degreed professionals. You know, they've gone to school for <laughs> years to be good at what they do. Um, but these these chaplains may be people who aren't even really qualified to be a pastor in a church. Really, right. it's not really pastors. It's it's chaplains, right? Yeah, with a very yeah. specific. Bad boys have 48 hours of time they can they can spend oh, to get boy. a certification you know anybody can well, get here's a certification a, right well yeah here's a question can a can a muslim become a chaplain can a buddhist can a member of the scientology become a chaplain under this bill it doesn't explicitly exclude it but as you talk to those um some of those questions were were brought up right can we have chaplains in all of these spaces and we never really got to a, a good, clean answer. And the intention on all of it was it's Christian chaplains, right? right? I mean, that was kind of the default answer. It's nobody of these other faiths. There Again, there's nothing explicitly excluding it, but you listen to all the testimony, all of the questions that were asked, and it was definitely intended to be uh, of one faith. Well, and another point I think that it's important about this and kind of tying back into what we were talking about on making families afraid of public schools, um, another amendment that they tried to include um, on this bill uh, was to make sure that families basically had to know, like you were having to opt in if you wanted your student to be with one of these chaplains, you know, parental choice. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And the answer to that also was no. Um, oh my. And so for people who might not be religious or might be of a different faith, which is a lot of people right in Texas. And, um, that's another way for those families 
to feel like, well, that makes me kind of afraid for my kid to be at the public school. If there's going to be a Christian chaplain able to walk up and influence them at any point, because I'm not sending my student to school to be, to get a Christian education because I'm, I'm Muslim or I'm Jewish or I'm an atheist. I mean, families could be any faith or no faith. And that's just another point of fear for people. Um, it just really muddies the waters and it's just such poor decision making on our legislature's part. Uh, having a the, the idea of having like a professional Christian at my kid's school, I I know my kids would be terrified of them. That to to them, Christians are the people that gave us Trump and the people that refuse to to get vaccinated and made us all sick or broke off relationships with us because they they wouldn't do anything to help us be safe around them um they see them as the least safe the least trustworthy people they could have around them and would be terrified by that um so that that's just awful um an, another particular thing about texas and correct me if i'm wrong it's my understanding that the Texas State Board of Education has a massive influence on what students around the country learn because of the textbook publishing industry um, that, you know, Texas isn't going to buy any any textbooks that that go against their guidelines. And so textbook publishers go out of their way to only publish textbooks that are within the Texan guidelines. And, uh, this basically holds students in the other 49 states hostage to what the Texas State Board of Education says. And within that, also, I was reading that it is fairly uncommon, if not unique, that that it is not a locally uh, decided thing as far as what textbooks and what's going to be in them. But it is at the at the state level entirely. Can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, that that is that is accurate. I okay. mean, because we have um, what a thousand some odd independent school districts in the state, and I, again, a massive number of of kids. Yeah, the state board of education does make the determinations on curriculums, and then will make some determinations on approved textbooks to fit those curriculums. So you you will see publishers absolutely cater to that Texas market, and. You know, look, we we saw a push. We keep bringing this guy up. David Barton, yeah. right, was on uh, was advising the state board of education on textbooks in the early 2000s um, in Texas, trying to take uh, evolution out and push more creationism into history textbooks um, for the public school system. And so. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I do a lot of campaign finance tracking and the people haven't really paid attention to the State Board of Education in Texas. Right. Those races going on, they're so under the radar. And you've seen some of the, the large Texas oligarch billionaires um, that start to have started to invest in State Board of Education races to influence, right? What is the curriculum? What are the books that are actually 
going to be leveraged here, which does. It influences everywhere else in the state. And I mean, we've even got a state board of education member who, uh, Julie Pickering, who, you know, as Florida announced that they were going to use a Prager University uh, curriculum in their public schools. Oh, no. Texas is, is building these core curriculums that districts can just leverage so teachers don't have to write lesson plans. That was Julie Pickering's claim. That was, well, she claimed that Texas had also jumped on board to do this and that we had, you know, committed to Prager University. It wasn't quite true. The comptroller had set up an account for them where if they did get selected for something, we would be able to pay them as a state, Um, which total lie. But it was trying to create an expectation for the rest of the State Board of Education, for the people who might be trying to advocate um, for these, you know, whether it's Prager University, which is seed funded by Ferris Wilkes, which is one of the Texas oligarchs who's pushing all this other crazy stuff. Right. Um, University is a misnomer. It's it's it's, it's in it's there to confuse channel. you. It's, it is in no way any sort yeah. of educational right. institution. But you've, seen, you've seen a few states sign on to having PragerU in there. Texas hasn't yet. Um, it's still being evaluated. But there's a few states that have. And, and Oklahoma. Yep. This isn't just a Texas, you know, this attack on public ed, as you stated at the very beginning, this is not just a Texas problem. This is a nationwide. Yeah. And so, you know, wherever somebody might be listening to your program, you know, their their state definitely could be one to adopt the PragerU uh, curriculums next. And that's really concerning. Because, they're, they're again, when you're talking about indoctrination, they're, they're actually trying to indoctrinate, um, whereas, you know, the for everybody else, we're just trying to teach kids how to be good people. Yeah, no, right. they, they are an unabashed propaganda outlet. Yes. And it's absolutely wild that, you know, people in any state that are, are leadership it's just wild that they are signing on to adopt this for curriculum because it's not remotely serious. It's just, (laughs) it's crazy. Ah, man. Yeah. There's just so much going on. Um, I want to thank you both for your time. I think we're coming to the end of, of the interview here, but uh, thank you so much for being here. And I guess as a form of closing, you know, if people hear this and they want to get involved in some way for education, uh, maybe for being an advocate for public school and making clear, I think all of us, you know, homeschooling, private schooling, public school, there may be an option there for your kid that's good for your child, uh, but maybe not for somebody else's. Um, I think we're all okay with that. But, you know, for people who really believe in the public school as a backbone of our society, that a public school system is available for any kid to go to, regardless of what they believe, regardless of their race or ethnicity or background, regardless of if they're queer or not, they can go and get a good education. Uh, what are good ways for people to be involved in in helping to advocate for that existing system? Well, I, I think, look, we talked about people showing up at school board meetings and being loud and ugly. Um, It's important that you show up at school board meetings and support 
the, the good things that are going on in your district, right? It's a visible sign to your board members, to the staff that are attending those board meetings and the, and the people who are watching that there is a vocal element of the community that that's speaking up. Um, I, I think you've also got to pay attention to the people you are voting for, right? The people who are going to be your elected representatives, if you, they are talking about if you hear the term government schools, right, yeah. coming out of the candidate. <laughs> Major red away, flag. Um, you know, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be voting for that. But if they're talking about the need to ban books, the, you know, indoctrination going on in schools, those are, again, huge red flags. And, and you should be calling that out. Um, I, I'm a big believer in this whole philosophy of see it, name it, fight it. Right. You have to know what you're looking for. You have to be aware enough to be able to see these things, to see these red flags pop up. You have to be able to then call it what it is, right? These people are trying to tear down our schools, whether it's Christian nationalism, dominionism, or just a, a, the money. a, a money person. A, who's living a rich guy needing a tax right? break, yeah. But it's, it's, it's understanding what that is and then being willing to stand up and say, that's not okay, right? Whether it's at a school board meeting, it's talking about a candidate, advocating for a candidate, advocating for a, a, a bill in your legislature. Don't be afraid to be vocal. Um, and it's it's inside your social networks, too, right? Because we all see those spaces. It may be at your church. It may be, you know, when you're at your PTA meeting or your kid's softball game. And if people are talking about things, don't be afraid to throw your two cents in on saying, the good talking about the good things that are going on and how do you keep it good and when bad bills come up if if any of your listeners are that tuned in and they're paying attention to bills that are coming up when their legislature is in session and you see anti-public education bills coming up contact your legislators call them email them but you know drive to the capitol if you need to and and sit in the gallery and, and, you know, make yourself seen. Um, but, but do everything you can to be vocal in support of a healthy public school system and a healthy separation of church and state, because those two things are really important to the backbone of our democracy functioning well. And we're, we're speaking the day after the, the elections, uh, this, this is November 8th. Um, from what I can tell, seems like Democrats across the board did pretty well uh, and candidates backed by Moms for Liberty did not. Um, to take us out here, I'm wondering if you could just give us your, your thoughts on on how what you think about, uh, you know, read the tea leaves, I guess, of of the results and, and what that may mean for the next few years. Um I don't think moms, moms uh, for Liberty are going away anytime soon, but uh, I think they expected to do a lot better. Yeah, I'll say I it, it look it gives you a little bit of hope, right? That yeah. people are starting to pay attention and engaging and showing up for some of these elections that may not have been super high turnout elections in the past, right? Which is one of the avenues people leverage to do it. But the thing that we can't do is get complacent and think. Hey, we won. 
right? We won this one election, therefore we can go back to not paying attention anymore because you nailed it. Folks like Moms for Liberty and, and other groups that are pushing this attack on public education, they're driven by an ideology, which an ideology is a hard thing to move from, right? If you're just going, you know, I'm doing this to make money and I stop making money long enough, I might go do something else. When it's about an ideology, you're going to keep pushing and finding new ways to, to go into that space. So it's a, it's a great story to, to know that people started to show up and started to wake up to what was happening in their communities, but they've got to continue that momentum, um, you know, through the rest of this year into the 2024 elections, um, because these, these it's just going to keep coming and yeah. we've got well, to raise our voices. 12 months is a long, long, long time in politics. I'm sure y'all feel the same way. Yeah. And yep. these folks are very tenacious and they also turn out their voters. And so it is it is of utmost importance that people continue to be plugged in, that support public schools um, and continue to show up to vote every time. Yep, they may be a minority, but they all vote. They um, do. They yep. do. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, it was it was it was great hearing you a bit on on American Idols, and glad we we're able to have a more expansive conversation. Um, where can people find you uh, online, and if if they want to help uh, if if i don't know if if they if they want to help uh get involved or if they they just just want to see what you're up to so they can be more aware of 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 things well we're we're both on uh the site formerly known as twitter um just call it twitter i just active <laughs> in that space um i'm cj tackett and mentac m e n t a c k that's yeah. it and then Chris also has a website um, that he's got with um, some of the information that we've gathered over the years uh, about Christian nationalism, which is see it, name it, fight it.com. And it has a lot of resources um, there for people to, to utilize and learn from That's great. That help, things that helped us. And um, your campaign finance stuff is linked there too. Yeah. If it's somebody that happens to be in Texas, do I don't know that if, folks in Seattle want Texas campaign finance, but if they do, <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> now, cool. uh, this, this I just want to say since it's not going to be included, but before we started talking uh, for the episode, we talked a little about how you love the the film Chinatown, and and it's so fitting after talking to you because. That is probably the best detective movie about uh, malfeasance in a uh, uh, very boring local department of government, <laughs> the, the 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 water uh, uh, department of Los Angeles. <laughs> so it's so fitting. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm classic Jack Nicholson, man. Dave, was I totally tripping over my words? <laughs> At the end oh, there. I think that went okay. I think I think we got totally educated, man. We did. Yeah, I think that's what it is. We just we just went to school, and you know, we all have different learning styles. And yes. uh, I I tend to you know need to like do the thing to really learn 
a process and stuff. And so there's only so much that I can take in. And that's why these podcasts are only an hour long, not three hours long. Uh, I wouldn't remember the stuff from the, the second and third hour so much, unless it's our Oscar show. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, we broke that into two. Yeah, we did. That that <laughs> was episodes. nuts. Speaking of Oscars and movie stuff, shout out breaking news. Former guest Alyssa Wilkinson just hired Alyssa. by the New York Times to be their new film critic taking over for A.O. Scott. This is, I mean, that's that's the most well-respected um, job in film criticism, I would say. Is is being the New York Times film critic? Yep, probably probably one of the biggest platforms for sure. And I would like to think Zach. I cannot take credit, but I would like bump. to think. <laughs> yes, and I can say this on our show. It was what was it last? Well, it was several months ago when Alyssa was kind of talking about her employment situation, and you and I, and I think Sam Thielman was out there. Her her former. I I don't know if they're going to do young adult movie ministry anymore. They were the hosts of that, Alyssa and Sam. I think us on X, formerly known as Twitter, a few months ago, we were all lobbying, copying the New York Times yeah. in tweets saying, you should hire Alyssa. So I would like to think that we at least played a role. I'm going to claim no responsibility at all in this because Alyssa is just brilliant. And there you go. Did That's not need our help to get the job. Uh, but I, I know what you're saying, you know. Yes. Um, Truth so. be told, the New York Times does not care about this show. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know? How do you know? Maybe our maybe our, they all listen. I don't know. Our guests, our, our listeners just wait until our next episode is an interview with the New York Times. Uh, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. We are coming up on episode 100, Dave. It's getting close. We're going to hit triple digits. This we is have a guest episode 98. This is episode so. 98. And if my math is correct. And we have think, yes. guests booked for episodes 99 and 100. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to give it away, but episode 100, it, I mean, we haven't recorded it yet, but I, I think I can go out on a limb here and say it's, going to be a doozy it's it's going to be really good um it's going to be somebody that i probably talked about going back as to like the first episode of this show um you you've been looking forward to this for a long time a long time uh i don't know if you thought this person would actually come on our show yeah not somebody that does a ton of interviews so I'm really, really excited and uh, honored that uh, they would be willing to come on this show. So uh, that's all I'm going to say. Really, really excited. I hope you all listen. Um, it's going to be our Patreon episode. You're going to have to pay. No. <laughs> normal. But normal please episode. support the Patreon. Yeah, please support yeah. the Patreon. Yeah, VCW Pod. Uh, sorry, patreon.com slash VCW pod. Uh, Dave and I are recording monthly Patreon only episodes. And we would love to know that there's people listening to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
when does sound of freedom come out we should watch that and do a patreon only review of that movie um yeah i'm not willing to to give them any money for that so if it comes to a free streaming platform i may be willing to talk about it and discuss there yeah that's and, fair. Uh, so if a listener out there, if you find out that Sound of Freedom is on a free streaming platform somewhere, please let us know on social media. Give us a tag. Yeah. You know, if you want to if you want to hear us talk about that, uh, we I'm can, sure we they're dying. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it'll um, be fun. On that note, this has been another episode of Veterans of Culture Wars. Thank you so much for listening to us. If uh, you are on X, formerly known as Twitter, you can find us. I am at Dave J. Lester. Zach is at Muzak, M-U-Z-A-C-H. And our show is at BCW Pod. As Zach mentioned, you can go to patreon.com slash BCW Pod and support the show. We encourage you to do that. You get access to our Facebook group. You also get access to episodes that Zach and I record, about one per month, that are only exclusively available for our Patreon community we have one up we're going to record another one sometime soon so yeah become a patreon supporting member help us out and you can go to zach's website music.bandcamp.com you can see some of his artwork see what he's been up to you can listen to my other podcast does the bible say that wherever fine podcasts are sold thanks again for coming on down to the vcw and remember as always the podcast is free but you still need to tithe 10 percent 